0: so good to see you this morning. We're grateful and thankful for all that God is doing in the life of our church. And I'm so grateful and thankful for the opportunity he has given me this morning to open up the Word of God and to preach the Word of God. And so we're we're delighted to be able to do that. Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2 is where we'll read from this morning. As the Lord has placed this on my heart uh, to... Uh, look at uh, the first sermon that was preached after the day of Pentecost. So I'm preaching on this subject this morning with the help of the Holy Spirit, gospel preaching, gospel preaching. Now we're going to look in verses 14 through 41, so there's a lot of verses here, and, uh, but we're going to read those and with the help of the Holy Spirit, preach uh, what God has put on my heart. Uh, Acts chapter number 2, verse number 14, and if you're able, a lot of verses, if you're not able, that's fine, but if you're able to stand, let's stand and honor and reverence the reading of the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. Notice what the Bible says. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you. And pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that he did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan, And foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rejoice in hope, because you will not abandon me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew what God had sworn. He knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God, and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be unto God. You may be seated. As we come to Acts chapter number 2, I want to set the context just a moment as we get into our verses as we're talking about gospel Preaching this morning. After Jesus had suffered and died for our sins on the cross, he presented himself alive uh, to his followers by many convincing proofs. He appeared to them over a 40 day period and taught them concerning the kingdom of God. At the end of that 40 day period, he took them to a mountain in Galilee and he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father. The promise was the coming of the Holy Spirit into their lives. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, But you shall receive power. After that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We know the great commission the Lord gave us in Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 1 verse 9, and after he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching and a cloud took him out of their sight. That is the ascension. Jesus went back to heaven. And so the disciples returned to Jerusalem as they were told. And they went upstairs in in the house that they had been staying in. And the Bible says that they continued there and they were united in prayer for about a period of about 10 days. And so they, there was now about 120 of them that were together. And while they were there, they did several things. And, uh, but we come right to our text in and, uh, and, and chapter number 2 and know that the day of Pentecost uh, came. In verse number 1 of chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like a violent rushing wind came from heaven. And it filled the whole house where they were staying. And then the Bible says they saw these tongues of fire. And these tongues of fire, of flames of fire, they separated and they rested upon each one of them. And the Bible says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then a wonderful, amazing thing began to happen from there. The Bible says they began to speak with different tongues as the Spirit enabled him. And so they're there, there was a great sound. It didn't say it was a wind, but it sounded like a great wind. And not only did they hear that, but all of the folks in Jerusalem heard that also. And there was thousands and probably tens of thousands and maybe a hundred thousand or so people that were still in and around about Jerusalem because of the feast day. And they heard this sound and they came together and no doubt this upper room in this home was probably close to the temple area and so they came and they wondered what was going on and now they see a hundred and twenty people that were all speaking the wonderful works of of God and they you see the the spirit came they were baptized by the spirit they were filled with the spirit and the miracle of it all there was all kinds of people that spoke all these different languages and you can read about it in verse 9 and 10 and 11 and they but they were astonished because uh, they said to one another are not all of these people that are speaking Galileans then how is it that we all hear them speaking in our own language? That was a miracle of Pentecost. And I believe through that the Lord was saying this gospel message is going to be for all people. Remember, he said to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So they were astounded of that uh, and perplexed. And they were saying one to another, what does this mean? But then verse number 13 said, But some sneered and said, They are drunk on new wine. So now is an opportunity for Peter to do something we never would have thought that he would have done uh, just days before. Remember, Peter was the one who had told the Lord. He said, Lord, if you go to prison, I'll go. If you go to death, I'll go. But when they came and arrested Jesus, Peter ran, and he was afraid. And the Lord had already told him. He said, Peter, you're going to deny me. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, Lord, I'll never do that. We know he did that. And his heart was broken. And his heart was was Devastated. But now Jesus has died on the cross and he's rose again from the dead and during that 40 day period Jesus took Peter and he he restored him and he brought him back into fellowship and now Since the Spirit of God has come, these disciples that just days earlier had ran for fear to hide themselves, now they're standing before the same people that crucified the Lord of glory. They're filled with the Holy Spirit and they're speaking the wonderful works of God. And now Peter is about to preach this first Christian sermon that was ever preached. And as Peter begins to preach this sermon this morning, I want us to understand that this sermon sets a pattern of preaching that has been passed on down through the times, even to us today. Preaching was a priority in the early church i've said that before here but that's why right here in the center of this building we have this place that is set aside it is a place that has been dedicated for the man of god to come on the lord's day and open the word of god and stand in the power of the holy spirit of god and look at the people of god and say this is what the word of god says We should never underestimate the importance of preaching. Our Sunday school classes are important. Our small group discipleships are important. It is there we get in those groups and we pray for one another and we help one another and we discuss the things of the Word of God. But they must never take the place that on the Lord's Day we're to come together as a people of God and the man that God is called to stand here. And by the way, thank God for our pastor. Amen? That week after week he labors over the word of God and he stands here and he pours his soul out as he preaches the word of God. Preaching was a priority in the early church and ladies and gentlemen, it must be a priority in our church today. And we see in the book of Acts, it is a record really of apostolic preaching. And even later on we see where Paul tells young Timothy to preach the word. So we are to preach the gospel. So what we have this morning is a sermon that Peter preached. And in verses 14 through 21, we really have the introduction uh, to uh, Peter's sermon. And what Peter is going to do in these verses, he is going to answer the question of those who sneered and said, Hey, these people are drunk. And so Peter's introduction and his message is going to be to explain to them what has happened. We see that the Holy Spirit has come. So verses 14 through 16 form the introduction to Peter's sermon. It marks a transition from the Spirit-filled utterance of the Christians uh, to Peter's uh, explanation of this event. Peter stood up, and the Bible says that he stood up with the eleven and it's not accidental that the 11 got up with him because we're going to see in a little while that the main body of truth in gospel preaching uh, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And these 11 that stood up with Peter as he preached, they were eyewitnesses of the resurrection. So when Peter could say, hey, this Jesus, as we're going to see later, has rose again from the dead, those 11 men was his amen corner, amen. And they would say, amen, we saw him. Jesus is alive. And so they were there to give witness. And then the Bible says there in verse 14, Peter stood up with 11, and he raised his voice and proclaimed to him. He addressed them. He raised his voice. The verb there means to speak seriously. It means to speak with gravity, a word often used for prophetic inspired utterance. Philip Brooks says, preaching is truth proclaimed through personality. It requires truth and it requires a man of God. Aren't you glad God's still calling men to preach the word of God? And the Bible teaches us that our pastors and our preachers, they are gifts to us by God, the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us and preach to us the wonderful Word of God. Now Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's a Spirit-filled preacher, and he's preaching. Peter is a Jew, and he is preaching a message, message uh, to the Jews on a Jewish holiday holiday and a holy day about the resurrection of G, of the Jewish Messiah whom their nation had crucified. And he answers their question, and he says there in uh, verse 15, For these people are not drunk as you would suppose, seeing it's only nine in the morning. You see, uh, the 9 a.m. was the customary prayer time, literally the third hour. And the Jews would not even eat until the fourth hour. So Peter is saying, hey, you guys know this, these people are not drunk, they've not even eaten yet. And then down in verse number 16, he says uh, that this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he went into talking about the prophecy of Joel in the Old Testament. He said this is the same Holy Spirit that Joel wrote about. He is here. And such an announcement that the Holy Spirit had come uh, would be incredible for these Jews. For in their minds, the Holy Spirit would only uh, only uh, uh, be uh, evident in people's lives like like Moses and like uh, uh, like the other Old Testament uh, prophets and. and like David and all the prophets, and they read about how the Spirit of God rested upon them. You do know in the Old Testament economy, the Spirit of God came, and He would rest upon a particular individual for and empower them for service. But later on, we can read in other places that from time to time, then the Holy Spirit would take His leave. Uh, you remember that, that one time the Holy Spirit was upon Saul, but then later the Spirit of God departed from him. When David prayed uh, uh, after his great sin with Bathsheba, he prayed a prayer that you and I will never have to pray. He prayed and he said, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. That was the Old Testament economy. In the New Testament economy, we understand that the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, I'm going to give you another comforter, even the Spirit of truth, and he will abide with you forever. He's not ever going to leave you nor forsake you. We'll never have to pray, take not your Holy Spirit from me. And so now we find that Peter is saying this is the beginning of the prophecy. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here this morning because as we look at and read about the prophecy of Joel, we know that he said in the last days that he would pour out his spirit. Listen, do you understand that the last days began when Jesus was lifted up from the earth in his glorified resurrection body and went back to heaven That began the last days. Now those early disciples, they believed that Jesus was coming again because he said, I am coming again. And they looked for him and they lived every day with a daily expectation that Jesus should come. But ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you today that now 2,000 years or better has passed and Jesus still has not come. The Bible never taught that the, that the coming of Jesus would be immediate, but that it would be imminent. Jesus is coming. So what I wanted you to see today, if the last days begin, then, then I believe that you and I may be living in the latter days of the last days. And Jesus Christ is going to come, and he's coming in power and great glory. And a lot of the prophecy that Joel gave will not be fulfilled until he comes. We read about the blood, and we read about uh, the, uh, the darkness, and we read about all of those things that are going to happen. That is really apocalyptic things that are going to happen in the future. But what Peter is saying, that this prophecy is beginning to be fulfilled. This is what Joel said was going to happen. The Holy Spirit of God is coming, and the Holy Spirit of God is going to fill the hearts and lives of all the believers. Can I say this this, this morning? The Bible says these believers were speaking the wonderful works of God. Church, can I tell you today that those of us that have been saved by the grace of God, the blessed Holy Spirit of God lives in our hearts and in our lives, we have an admonition in the Word of God and a command that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So my question to you and to me today, are we speaking the wonderful works of God? When we leave this place this morning, are are we out there in this world where we live and in a workplace and around our families and around the pagans of this world? Are we speaking the wonderful works of God? we need to be we need to be speaking the wonderful works of God we need to be engaged uh, on Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday and Friday in our worship of our great God we need to worship him as individuals and as families and in small groups throughout the week and we're to tell about the wonderful things that God has done then we're to come together on the Lord's Day corporately and we are to worship God and give him the honor and the glory that he deserves and we get Fired up, and we get filled up, and we go back in a world and speak the wonderful works of God throughout the week. Can you say Amen to that? God, grant that to be what you and I are all about. And so, though we went for the sake of time, we move down to verse number 21, and the Bible says here that during these last days, when the Holy Spirit comes, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Will be saved. So indeed it was a dawning of a new age. These last days. In which God would bring. Listen to completion. His plan of salvation for mankind. Jesus finished the work. The great work of redemption on the cross. And nothing more had to be done. Listen. Except to share the good news with the world. And they were going to do that. Beginning with Jerusalem. And then to the ends of of the earth and the message was whosoever shall call upon the name of the lord will be saved so in those verses we have peter's introduction to his sermon and that sermon was to explain what happened on the day of pentecost and then we're going to see the theme of peter's sermon and uh, and we'll read in these verses 22 through 35 and we'll see that the theme of his message is the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look there in our text, if you will, in verse number number, uh, 22 in our text. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to these words. And sometimes preachers do that when we preach. And I see Peter done it right there. Listen. Do you remember Dr. Charles Stanley? Do you ever listen to him preach on TV? He would be preaching. He would say, he'd come to a point. He wanted you to listen. He'd say, listen, 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 be alert, listen. Peter is standing up now full of the Holy Spirit, and he's saying to the people, listen to me. Listen, this Jesus of Nazareth Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him just as you yourselves know. Probably most of all the adults in Jerusalem and the residents that were there and the visitors knew about the arrest. They knew about the trial. They knew about the crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth. They had also heard the rumors of an official announcement that said his followers had stolen the body of Jesus just to make the people think that he had kept his word and been raised from the dead. So we see that Peter is about to stand up and, and, and preach, and, and this theme is the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is saying you people should have known. You should have known about this Jesus. And who he is. And he begins in the first part. In the main body of this message. He begins to talk about the life. Jesus and he's saying in verse 22 the proof that Jesus was God's appointed Messiah is seen in the miracles and signs and wonders he performed during his earthly ministry the Old Testament talked about the Messiah that when he would come and how that the lame would walk and uh, the blind would uh, uh, would see and and, the and the leper would be cleansed and the dead would be raised do you remember what happened when John the Baptist was uh, down in the Jordan River Valley and he was God's messenger making uh, straight the path, of getting people ready for the Messiah? Do you remember what happened? He was down there and he was baptizing and Jesus walked up and he looked and he said behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he baptized Jesus that day and then the next day they were still in that area and John walks by and Jesus is there and John looked at some of his disciples and pointed and said behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He declared, he said this is the Messiah this is the one that God has sent for us fast forward some time I don't know how much time but John has been arrested and he's in prison Uh, and pretty soon they're going to cut his head off and he's going to die a martyr's death and so he's down and he's depressed like we all get and some of his disciples came and said this Jesus is doing this that and the other And the same John that said, uh, said, uh, Behold the Lamb of God. He sent his disciples and said, Go ask him. Go ask him, Is he the one? Or should we look for another? You see, his circumstances clouded his mind and his vision. And they went back and told Jesus. And they said, Jesus, John has wanted us to ask, Are you the one or should we look for another? Jesus didn't say, but John should know better than that. I can't believe after he baptized me and said, behold, the Lamb of God. I can't believe that he's even asking that. But no, Jesus in his kindness knew that John knew the word of God. And he knew what the Messiah would do. And Jesus said, you go tell John that the blind are seeing, the lame are walking, the leper is cleansed, and the dead are raised. And they went back and they told John that. And I believe something filled his heart and his life. And he says, I'm ready now. It doesn't matter. I'm ready because behold, the Lamb of God has come. Ladies and gentlemen, those Jews ought to have known that Jesus was the Lord of glory. But we see that by the very life that he lived, But then we see in verse number 23, if you'll look there, it says, Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, God used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. You see, far from seeing in Jesus God's designated Messiah, what did the Jews do? They rejected him, and they gave him over to wicked men to be crucified, In all of this, however, a great mystery was according to God's plan and foreknowledge. You see, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, carefully balanced the elements of God's divine purposes and the human responsibility for the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would ask you, church, this morning, who put Jesus on the cross we know that Jesus died as a result of deliberate human decision made in the exercise of their God-given freedom of choice. The Jewish crowd at Pentecost could not avoid their responsibility in the death of Jesus. They went to Pilate. They went to Herod. They went back to Pilate. And they said, we want this man crucified. They were guilty who put Jesus on the cross, those Jews who turned him over to those pagan Roman soldiers who beat him unmercifully, who spat upon him, who put a crown of thorns on his head and they mocked him and put a reed in his his hand and they they beat him and, and they scourged him and they mocked him. You see, the actual ones were the Jews and the Romans who put Jesus to death. But ladies and gentlemen, not only did the actual ones put Jesus to death, but what about the Almighty One? Here's the mystery. Nonetheless, in this mystery, it is the mystery of the divine will of God. God was working in these Events of willful human rebellion to bring about his eternal purposes. God is sovereign. You remember the time when there was a great teacher in Israel by the name of Nicodemus that came to Jesus by night? And he came to Jesus and he said, "Uh, Good master or good teacher, we know that you've got to be a teacher that's come from God because no man can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. So Jesus is going to try to explain to this teacher of Israel what this thing was all about. And he said, Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus was perplexed. And he said, I don't understand. Can a man who is old enter in again to his mother's womb and be born And Jesus said, that which is of the flesh is flesh, and that which is of the spirit is of the spirit. Marvel not, he said, that I say unto you, you must be born again. And then Jesus explained the mystery of the new birth and how it was a spiritual birth. Nicodemus still just could not quite understand. So we find the Lord Jesus takes him to an Old Testament passage of scripture to help him understand. And it was a time when Moses was leading the children of Israel through the wilderness. And they were murmuring, they were complaining uh, about their, uh, their state. And you remember because they murmured against God and they mar- murmured against Moses that God sent those fiery snakes into their camp. And the people were being bitten by the snakes and they were dying. And the people came back to Moses and they said, Moses, you've got to pray for us. You've got to help us. These snakes, these snakes are biting us. And our children and our wives, our families, our people, they're dying. And then we know Moses said, i tell you what you do. You go out and you make a serpent out out of brass. And you put it on a pole. And the brass was a symbol of Judgment. And the serpent, a symbol of sin. And you put that brass serpent upon a pole. And you tell people when that snake is lifted up on that pole, if they will look at that, and uh, they will be healed. They will be spared. And you see, now the Lord Jesus is going to remind uh, uh, Nicodemus about that. And he does in chapter number 3 of John verse 14. And he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You see, that, that serpent was a type of sin judged, And when Jesus Christ was lifted up on the cross of Calvary, he was there to take the wrath of Almighty God. He was there to take the judgment of my sin and your sin and the sin of all the world. And he said to Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Listen, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Listen to verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who uh, does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Folks, only at the cross can we see God as he really is. We can read about God and we can think about God, but it's at the cross we see that our God is a God of grace and He's a God of mercy and He's a God who cares about His fallen souls. Only at the cross can we see God, who God really is. And listen, only at the cross can we see who we really are. You see, you may think you're pretty good and you may think I've got it all together. There's a lot of people believe that as long as their good outweighs their bad that everything's going to be all right in the end. They feel like God's got scales and when you get to stand before God and and you're weighed in the balances, if your good outweighs your bad, God's going to say, okay, your good's better than your bad, come on in. You see, that's a false understanding of the Scriptures, for the Bible says that there's none good, no, not one. There's nothing in me. I would not trust trust the best 15 minutes of my life to get me to heaven. I realize at the cross that I am a sinner. I realize at the cross that only God can save me. That without Christ on the cross, I would have no hope. You see, not only was it the actual ones that put Jesus on the cross and the Almighty One that put Him on the cross, but what about the absent ones? You and I put Jesus on the cross. It was your sin and my sin. Alas, and did my Savior bleed and did my sovereign die? Would He devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Was it for crimes that I had done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Thus I might hide my blushing face while his dear cross appears. Dissolve my heart in thankfulness and melt my eyes to tears. But drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. And the burden of my soul rolled away. It was there by faith I received my side. And now I am happy all the day. Ladies and gentlemen, if you were good enough to save yourself, if the Jews were good enough to save themselves, if there's something we could do on our own, then the cross was the greatest blunder in the history of the world. But the cross was given in the cross. Jesus dying on the cross was because there was no other way. You and I could never save ourselves, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to his mercy he saved us. Listen, even when we were dead and trespasses and sins, Christ died for us. So we see at the cross, the Almighty One offered up his son Jesus. To die in my place and in your place. And then look in verse 24. This is really what's going to affect the Jews. We see not only do we see the life of Jesus was part of his message. The death of Jesus. And then the resurrection of Jesus. Look in verse 24. God raised him up, Peter said. Ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Peter told them the truth. God sent you the Messiah, and you crucified the Lord of glory. God sent the Messiah you had waited for, and your fathers had waited for, and the Old Testament had predicted, and God sent him to you. And what did you do, the Jewish people? You crucified him. You nailed him to a cross, and you killed him. But God raised him up because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Now, I want you to think about the Jews just for a moment. The grief under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit did grip their heart. Number one, they thought, oh, my God, we we have killed the Messiah. We've killed the Messiah. But now we find out, wait a minute, the Messiah that we killed is alive. He rose again. And now we're going to have to face the one whom we pierced. We're going to have to face the one that we crucified. And fear began to grip their heart. But Peter told them the truth. You killed him, but God raised him up. Jesus of Nazareth had indeed been raised from the dead. And the resurrection proves that he is the Messiah. And folks, can I tell you the resurrection was the theme of the gospel preaching all the way, and I don't have time to show it to you, but all the way through the book of Acts, it was the resurrection that was preached. When Paul preached the gospel, he said, I preach unto you the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to scriptures. scriptures church Jesus is alive it was impossible that death could hold him Jesus is alive and then in verses 25 through 32 uh, he talks about the prophecy of David and how that David pointed out uh, that it was it was Jesus that he was talking about in chapter number 16 of the book of Psalms and how that he had been raised from the dead and he's Surely was the Messiah. Then, in verses number 33 through thirty-three through thirty-six, we see the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, "Therefore, in verse thirty-three, therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, and he's poured it out, what you both see and hear." And so we see that he's saying that Jesus not only died on the cross and was buried, but rose again. He was exalted to the right hand of the throne of God. And his conclusion in verse number 36 was both a declaration and an accusation. It was that Jesus is your Messiah, and you crucified him. Then that brings us to the last part of Peter's gospel message that he was preaching. And we see the exhortation of Peter's sermon. He gives an appeal. Look in verse number 37. It says, When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? They were convicted of the sin. The verb cut there means to strike. It means to prick. Violently, It means to stun. It is the convicting work of the Holy Spirit of God. And is that not what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do when He came? In John 16, Jesus says when He comes, He will convict the world about sin. He will uh, will convict the world about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because they do not believe in Me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see Me. And about judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Conviction. Conviction. Folks, can I tell you something? You can't get saved without being convicted. Conversion is the offspring of conviction. August 1972. Pleasant Hill Baptist Church, Highway 9, Cleveland County. Clonnie Williams the man of God stood behind that sacred desk and he preached the gospel and the very first time that I remember I was convicted as a 10 year old boy and I realized that I was a sinner I was a you said what kind of sin could a 10 year old boy know I I didn't have a testimony about all the wicked things that I'd done in this world. But I knew in my heart that I was a sinner. My heart was black with sin. I knew that I was a sinner. I knew I had sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But that day I was convicted of my sins. And I stepped out behind that pew. And I walked to the front of that church. And that day I put my trust in Jesus Christ. I say it like this. I gave Clonnie Williams my hand, and I gave Jesus my heart. I was saved. And folks, I've never got over it, but I was convicted. It takes the convicting power. You wouldn't even know you need to be saved without the Holy Spirit. But Jesus said when the Spirit of God comes, he's going to convict the world. He's going to convict the world. And that's what happens. Peter preached this sermon. And they were cut to the heart. They were struck deep into their heart with the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And they said, oh dear God, what can we do? They were convicted about their sins. And then in verse 38, he told them what they had to do. Peter's answer was right to the point. He said, you are to repent. Did you see that in verse number 38? Did you see that where he says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The verb there changed repent it means it means it's a change of your outlook it's a change of heart it's a, the reverse direction of your life it's 180 degrees in other words, I'm going this way in my sin and to repent means I turn and I go the other way. I've turned away from my sin and I've turned away from myself. God the Holy Spirit showed me that I was sinner, he, uh, he a sinner and that I couldn't save myself. And He gave me grace to turn around and walk the other direction and to put my trust in Christ alone. And I had a change of heart and a change of direction in my life. You see, the Jews had rejected Jesus. Now they must turn and do a 180, and they must trust him. I want you to see this, and then we're going to pray. The connection of baptism with the forgiveness of sins in verse 38 has confused a lot of people. It's often been a matter of controversy. A literal rendering of this verse runs like this. Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. The disputed word here is, is the word that we have for, and the word there is ice, which could, and it has many different interpretations, ice could indicate purpose, and thus be taken to mean that baptism is a prerequisite for the forgiveness of sins. A lot of people believe that. They believe that you are to repent, and but you're not really saved until you're baptized. And um, But is that what the Bible is teaching here? You see, there's ample evidence in the New Testament, however, that that word ice can also mean on the ground of, on the basis of. And it has been translated in other parts of the Bible because of. Which would indicate the opposite relationship. That the forgiveness of sins is the basis. It is the grounds for being baptized. So, a literal rendering could be like this. And I believe it is. Repent and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Because of the forgiveness of your sins. You see, that's what we believe, and that's what the Bible teaches. Why? Because nowhere else you have to compare Scripture with Scripture. And it's more significant to realize that the usual connection of forgiveness of sins in Luke's writings in the book of Luke and in the the book of Acts, that, that a connection with forgiveness of sins is always with repentance and not with baptism at all. In fact, no other passage in the book of Acts is baptism presented as bringing about the forgiveness of sins because it's done you you hear our pastors when they go in this water say hey there's nothing in the water well that's not always true if you baptize in some of the places that I've baptized in sometimes there's something in the water (laughs) Bethsaida Baptist Church back in the 90's there was a young lady that Received Jesus as her personal Lord and Savior. And I was going to baptize her on Sunday morning. And she was about this tall and pretty stocky built. And there we had well water. And you'd run that water in there, and it was about the color of those chairs you're sitting in. But pretty soon it would begin to lighten up because all that color of those chairs it sank to the bottom. So we got in there, and and she's taller, and I said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to, I'm going to say a few words, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when I do that, your hands are like this. I've got your hands. I'm going to hold your nose for you. And what I want you to do is I want you to bend your knees. And when you're going to go down in the water, and then I'm going to take you, under the water and then I'm going to get you up well I said I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit instead of bending her knees and, and being limber she, she stiffened up and so I'm trying to get her down just like I would a tree in the water and whatever, whatever sank to the bottom of that baptistry was like ice to stand on and her feet went up like that Her head went to the bottom of the baptistry. She was kicking, and all they could see in the congregation was her leg going like this. And I'm fighting to do everything I can do to save this woman's life. She's drowning. And I'm wet from head to toe, and I finally get her up. And the whole congregation that was laying over in the pews laughing. There was not a sacred thing about that baptism. And I said, folks, I'm sorry, there was something in the water. <laughs> but folks, can I tell you, there's nothing in the water. You can hear it in the country song where these good country singers want to, you know, drink a little beer and, and get real sentimental and talk about something in the water. There's nothing in the water, folks. You're not saved by baptism, but you get baptized because You've been saved. And so what Peter is trying to tell these people here now, he's telling them, you need to repent. You need to trust Christ. And because of that, you need to get baptized. Look in verse number 40. And with many other words, he testified strongly and strongly urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. Now that is for all of those people who believe that we should never give an invitation in the church anymore. Peter priest and he made an appeal and not only did he make an appeal but the Bible says he strongly urged them to get their hearts to Christ. 3,000 people were baptized or saved and baptized displaying their identification with Christ and this group of people immediately joined the fellowship of the believers Wasn't that a wonderful thing? 3,000 souls were saved. And so we come to this part after preaching the gospel message in Luke chapter number 2. They're coming to get a verse of invitation song this morning. And our elders are going to join us down front here, our pastors. And the appeal, Peter made an appeal, and I'm going to make an appeal this morning with the help of God the Holy Spirit. And I would ask you to listen to me as Peter said, listen, brethren, listen. And my appeal to you and my question to you, first of all, is twofold this morning. Have you come to the place in your spiritual life to where you know for certain that you will go to heaven when you die? Some of you are saying, preacher, I'm trying to do my best. I hope one day that I go to heaven. If you're trying to do your best, I'm telling you, you won't go to heaven. Not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to His mercy He has saved us with the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Through faith. If you're hoping you're going to heaven, then you're not going. The only Bible, only salvation in the Bible is a no-so salvation. And the only way a man, a woman, a boy, and girl can be saved is repenting of their sins. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved for the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved Romans 10, 13 for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved if you don't know that you're saved this morning in just a moment on the first verse of this song, this first word of this song would you get up would you come tell one of our pastors I'll be here, would you come and say I need to get that settled I need Peter strongly urged them. I strongly urge you, do not leave this place today if you're not saved. I said the appeal was twofold. We talked about baptism, so I'm going to say this. Have you been baptized since you believed? Some of you have put your trust in Christ, but you've never been baptized. And you're just kind of meandering around I don't know what you're waiting on, but the Bible says they that believe were gladly baptized. Some of you were baptized as a little child. And then later on in your young adult life, you got saved. But you told yourself, I've already been baptized, and it don't matter. Really, the only thing that matters is that I'm saved and going to heaven. Well, my question to you tonight, today is, does it not matter? If Jesus says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, baptism comes after your belief. See, some of you are disobedient. You're living a life of disobedience because you've not been scripturally baptized since you've been saved. Preacher, what I need to do, I've been convicted about that already. Just get out of you behind that chair and come tell one of these Elders, my baptism's not in order. And I want to talk to somebody about getting my baptism in order. Let's stand all over this house. We're going to sing, and I strongly urge you to do whatever the Holy Spirit leads you to do. Would you come and pray right now? Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. and We would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.